So far at Calvary Chapel, we've made our way through the Gospel of John. We've made our way through the book of Romans. Then we finished last week the book of 1 Corinthians, and we're starting a new book this morning. Amen? Oh, no, no, awesome, awesome note. And guess what book we're starting? There you go, 2 Corinthians. Hey, how about that? Last week was 1 Corinthians. This week is 2 Corinthians. So I got, I got to put a little gauge out here first. I got to see if you're going to be plugged in and you're going to grab this book by the reins and if it's going to pull you in. A couple questions I want to ask you. A couple questions, and this will gauge where you stand with the book of 2 Corinthians. The first question is this. Have you ever in your Christian walk invested your life into someone, even to the point where they turn their life around, they receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, and they get their, they get their life right, and then only to find out later in life they've backslidden, or they've turned away, or they've fallen away? If that's happened to you, then the book of 2 Corinthians is for you. Because Paul is dealing with a church where some false apostles have come in and false teaching, and these false apostles, these false teachers have come in and derailed them. And Paul's writing the second letter to them. Second question, number two. This is big. This is really big. This is the one that grips me. Do you care about the truth of the gospel? Do you, honestly, you ask yourself, you examine your own heart. Do you care about the truth of the Bible? Do you care about the truth of the gospel, the theology, the richness of what the New Testament teaches? If you care about it and you feel strongly about it, and you should as a Christian, because we're called to defend God's word, then you will love the book of 2 Corinthians. And thirdly, do you care about people? Do you care about people? If you answer yes to those three questions, and I hope you answer yes to all three of them, you're going to love the book of 2 Corinthians. The book of 1 Corinthians was a letter of correction. And the Corinthians had asked, it was a letter of correction, and it was a letter of the Apostle Paul answering their questions that they had sent. The book of 2 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul is defending his apostleship, he's exposing false teachers, and he's making a bold and biblical stand for truth. Is that not needed in today's world or not? We got to make a bold stand for Jesus Christ. We got to make a bold stand for everything the Word of God teaches and stand firm and not be swayed. Not be swayed. When I see leaders waffling on biblical truth, it upsets me. It just upsets me, especially if they're a pastor, especially if they're a leader. We got a generation coming up behind us and they need a shining example of people who stand for biblical truth. We've got to stand for biblical truth. Between these two letters, false teachers had come in. They were attacking Paul's character. They were denying his apostleship. And they were distorting the gospel truth. And now in the book of 2 Corinthians, the apostle Paul is writing this letter. Sometime after, on his third missionary journey, sometime after he left Ephesus, somewhere in the area of Achaia, he's writing back to um, the Corinthian church, and he's setting the record straight on the gospel, and he's setting the record straight on defending his apostleship. This book contains one of my favorite Bible verses, 2 Corinthians 13, 8. It says this. This is the most, to me, in my, in my mind, in my heart, I've heard nobody preach on it or teach on it, but to me, this is the most philosophical statement in all the Bible. 
For we can do nothing against the truth, but only for the truth. 2 Corinthians 13, 8. For we can do nothing against the truth. It, in other words, the truth is empirical, whether people accept it or reject it, whether people believe it or not. That's the Bible. For nothing can be done against the truth of the Bible, but for only for the truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. Well, whether this world accepts that or rejects that, guess what? He is still the way, the truth, the life. He is the firm anchor for Christians and for believers. He is still the way, the truth, and life. We cannot get away from that. And even if you decide to walk away from Christ, I hope you don't. But if you get led astray, he is still the way, the truth, the life. He is still at the right hand of the Father. He is still the truth. So this morning, I titled my, my message, Affliction and Suffering. What's up with that? What do you think when, when, when affliction and suffering comes to your mind? I don't know about you. I, I think about hard times. I think about difficult times. I think about persecution from being a Christian. I think about um, sickness and diseases and Bad life throwing people a curveball, affliction and suffering. Uh, prosperity preachers would say this. Prosperity preacher would say you're doing something wrong. A prosperity preacher would say God's favor is not on you. And even worse than that, a prosperity preacher would say you're being punished because something has afflicted you, something has gone wrong. And that really upsets me because that's just not the truth. That's not the testimony of the Bible. That's not the testimony of 2,000 years of Christianity. Hard times fall on believers too. We get struck through in this life with difficult trials, difficult temptations, uh, difficult situations, whether it be sickness or persecution for being a Christian. The gospel is we receive and we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. We love him with all of our heart. And no matter what happens in this life, no matter what happens, no matter what curveball, no matter what lemon comes your way, we serve him. We serve him through the trial and through the storm. That's the gospel. I want to share with you um, two people that made the greatest impact on my life was my grandparents. They served the Lord their entire life. My mom and her sisters and myself, we never knew a time when they weren't serving Christ. They were faithful in church. They were faithful in prayer. My, my grandfather down in Augusta, Georgia, he would go down to Broad Street. He'd hand out gospel tracts. He'd witness to strangers. They, were, they spent their whole entire life centered around the gospel. The year was 1965, and my, um, my uncle, his name was Billy. should be a picture of him right there, yeah. The year was 1965. Billy was five years old, and my mom, who was 11 years old at the time, was walking him to the park was walking into the park down in Augusta, somewhere off of Broad Street. And uh, they're, they're making their way to the park, and little Billy yanks out of my mom's hands and darts between these two cars in the middle of the road, and a car hits him, and he dies. Tragedy struck. And little Billy went home to be with Jesus in 1965, and my mom was only 11 years old. That tragedy struck them very hard. But my mom and all my aunts will tell you, Grandma and Grandpa never turned their, never turned their back on God. They, 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 they stayed faithful through their tears, through their pain, through their crying, through all the emotions of this 
tragic affliction, this tragic suffering, they stayed faithful. My question, you know, I wasn't there. I wasn't born until 1970. But my question was, how did they cope? How, how did they cope with little Billy? They had, um, they had uh, I think, three, four. Four girls and a little boy. That was their only boy. And, and, and he, he, was passed, he passed away after being hit by a car. But what got them through? And as I was reading and studying the text this week, I was like, this is what got them through. I, throughout my whole life, man, they just, I remember every night, they, they raised me for four or five years. I, I remember going to bed, and my grandfather would literally get on his knees on his bedside, and his prayer that he called out the Lord would echo throughout the house so everybody could hear it. But I see in the Word of God this morning what got them through that difficult time. Let's, let's, let's pray, and we'll get into this. Father God in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you for these um, 11 verses we're looking at. Lord, I pray that, um, Father, if there be someone here that's, that's struggling with affliction and suffering, God, I pray that you'll comfort them, that you'll strengthen them. And Lord, um, those of us who maybe we say all is well, help us to understand affliction and suffering so that it don't derail us when it happens in life or we see it happening, but help us to respond with grace. Lord, we love you and thank you for your word. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Let's, let's dive into this. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, with all the saints who are throughout Achaia. Paul wastes no time establishing, letting the church at Corinth know, I am an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ by the will of God. It was God's will that the apostle Paul that Paul, be an apostle to the Gentiles, wrote most of the New Testament. And look at verse 2. He says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. When I read this passage and I looked at it this week, and, and you know what? I'm sure you guys have testimonies of people in your life this struggle with suffering and affliction. And you could probably say the same thing of what sustained them in a difficult time. We have people right here in our fellowship this morning that have lost loved ones tragically. What sustains us? I believe it's in verses 2 and 3. Take a look at it. First thing, because he's going into affliction and suffering, first thing in verse 2, he says, grace to you. The grace of God sustains us through afflictions through trials, through sufferings. The grace of God, God's riches at Christ's expense. It's God's blessing towards us. It's uh, God's kindness towards us. It's him being in our lives and, and him displaying his attributes in us. And then it says, grace to you and peace. We talked about this a while ago. There's two types of peace in the Bible. There's one, there's peace, there's tranquility of soul where, where God gives us peace in the midst of the storm. But then there's the peace called reconciliation where Jesus Christ stepped in between you being a sinner and God being holy and made reconciliation. But the peace of God is what sustains us through trials, through difficult times. I believe it's what sustained Oscar and Inez Baker. Then in verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's the next one. He's the God of all mercies. He's the Father of mercies. That word mercy means he forgives. He forgives. We need to remember that. The gospel, the Lord Jesus Christ 
forgives. In other words, he does not give us what we deserve for our rebellion, for our disobedience, but he shows us the father of mercies. And then it says, the God of all comfort. That word comfort, it means strength. You know, when a person is going through a trial, when they were going through that trial in 1965, I can imagine what it was like. Maybe some here have gone through tragedy. But, but the Holy Spirit, he comes to you. He comes to you and he shows compassion. He, he shows strength. And then it says, and it, it, verse 3 ends with, he is the God, look, the God of what comfort? What does your Bible say? The, the God of all comfort. That means, that word in the text means this. It means God is completely adequate to handle whatever you go through, no matter what it is, small or big. He can handle the trial, the tribulation, the suffering, the affliction that you go through. He can handle it. And all you have to do is call out to him. Go to that prayer closet and say, Lord Jesus, I need you. Please come and comfort me in this difficult time, in this trial. And I believe he will do all four of these things for you, just like he did for other Christians who've gone through trials, who've gone through difficult times. You see, Paul here is writing. Who's he writing to? He's writing to the church at Corinth. He is speaking, these verses right here, he's speaking a foreign language. He, he's, he's as, as you call it, he is speaking Greek. Because they knew nothing of this. In the Greek culture, they served the God of lightning, the God of the sea, the God of uh, the military conquest. See, Corinth has been called the city of two lives, separated by a death. The greatest ancient atrocity happened in the city of Corinth in 146 B.C. Many people don't know about this, but go home and study it, research it. 146, okay, Rome in the ancient world was very imperialistic. They wanted to spread their domination across all the culture. In 146 B.C., they went over and destroyed Carthage and established their rule there. In that same year, they went after Corinth. And in 146 B.C., they, under the leadership of General Lucius Mummies, the Roman Empire completely annihilated the city of Corinth. This is what the historians say of what happened there at Corinth. Uh, ancient historian says, All of her treasures and arts were plundered. The city was burned to the ground. Every adult male was put to death. Actually, it says put to the sword. All the women and children in Corinth were sold into slavery. It was not until 44 B.C. that Julius Caesar came in and, re and rebuilt Corinth and established it not as a, Greek, as a Greek colony, but as a Roman colony with a Greek culture. And thus, in, in, in 44 B.C. began the culture there of the Greeks being dominated by Rome. This was, um, this was their mindset of the people that the Apostle Paul is writing to here. This is who he's writing to. These people, we know about the atrocities. This happened over the past couple hundred years. We all have our questions about all the wars and the Holocaust and all the things that happened. I guarantee you, these Corinthians had questions about affliction and suffering. There's no doubt. They, they, had, they had lingering thoughts in their minds. But what was they indoctrinated under? the God of lightning, the God of sea, of military conquest. And now Paul's coming in here telling about, about Christianity and about the true and living God, and it's a God of grace, 
a God of peace, a God of mercy, a God of all comforts. In the next five verses, verses 4 through 8 or 4 through 9, in the next five verses, the word suffering and affliction is going to appear eight times. Okay, So that's the theme of the next six or seven verses. The word comfort is going to appear ten times. So do you see the theme? Suffering, affliction, and comfort. So first thing, let's do this. Let's get a good definition of what suffering and affliction is so we can zone in on what the Apostle Paul is talking about. The word suffering, the Greek word, is pathmeia. When you, when you hear the word suffering, it refers to misfortune, calamity, pain, undergoing hardship, and pain. That's suffering. The, uh, the Greek word for affliction is thalipsis. It's a, a pressing pressure, a distress, anything that burdens the spirit, suffering, mind, and body. So, okay, so we got that. It's difficult trials that people face in life, suffering and affliction. Let's look at verse 4. Who comforts us in our affliction. Powerful statement right there. He says, who comforts us in all, excuse me, I said our, who comforts us in all our affliction. Let's break down those words. First off, he says, who comforts us. Us is the believers. We are not exempt from affliction and suffering in this world. Okay? Jesus promised we will have tribulation in this life. We will have difficulties. Life will throw us a lemon. We, it, times will be difficult. We are not exempt. And it says, who comforts us in that's a key word there in verse 4. Who comforts us in. That means he comes to us in our suffering. He gets in the boat with us and sustains us in our difficult trial, in our difficult situation. And it says, who comforts us in, I love this, all. Let's not miss that. All our affliction. There's no affliction known to man that he cannot handle. So what my friends here, this morning, brothers and sisters, whatever you face in life, whatever you're facing now, whatever you're facing in the future, know this, God is all sufficient to handle your trial, to handle your difficulty, to handle your affliction. He's an amazing, awesome, omnipotent, almighty God who can do that. The rest of verse 4, who comforts us in all our affliction so that, there's a purpose here, so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. You know, if, if, if someone goes through the tragedy of losing a child, who can best minister to that person? Someone else who's lost a child. You know, when we go through a trial, when we go through a difficult time, one of the things is after we go through the trial, we can take that tragedy, that affliction, that suffering, and use it to minister to um, someone else. Sometimes we pass through the fire so that we can minister to others. And that's just the truth. That's the truth of God. That's the truth of life that, that we go through difficult times. We give to people what the Holy Spirit gives to us through our trials, through our sufferings, through our afflictions. Verse 5, For just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also our comfort is abundant 
through Christ. Now, he's kind of shifting gears here. I believe he's shifting gears here, and he's talking more about persecution for being a Christian. He's talking about because we're a follower of Christ. So what sufferings of Christ are ours? Number one, the tribulation we face for being a Christian. As a Christian, when you take a bold stand for the Bible, we talked about that, 2 Corinthians 13, 8, taking a stand for truth. Now, I like to say this, standing for truth is more important than life itself. May I never compromise. May we never compromise before our walk with God, before our witness to people, and most importantly, my hope and my desire is that I'm laying the foundation for my children to follow in behind me. When I'm long gone, they will know that standing for truth is more important than life itself. But in tribulations, we suffer reproach, we suffer rejection, we suffer hostility, hatred, and denial, and betrayal for taking a stand on biblical truth. For taking a stand on biblical truth. And it's not always popular. But we got to. We got to take a stand. Uh, quote from Irene Ford. A moment of awkwardness today can save us from a lifetime of regret. She shared that with us. She got it from somebody. But she shared it was a couple months ago at dinner time. But it's so true. In, in the moment when we're tried and we're tested, are we going to stand for the truth? Stand for the truth. Let your knees knock. Let your head get sweaty. Your palms get sweaty. But make a stand for truth. It's so important. Now, you may suffer. But that's good. That's okay. That's called refining. When you stand, make a stand for Christ and you suffer, that's refining. That's when real growth happens. That's when, when your stuff starts getting green and growing and the fertilizer's coming up and you're growing in your walk with Christ. But the point of verse 5 is this. In our sufferings for Christ, in our taking a stand for biblical truth, no matter what difficulty we go to, Paul's point is this. There is a rich, 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 rich compensation for our standing for Christ. For just as the sufferings of Christ are in abundance, so also are our comfort and the abundance through Christ. There's a rich compensation that the Holy Spirit comes and gives to us when we take a stand and we suffer for the name of Christ. Whether it's physical or it's because of our Christian walk, there, there, there's a blessing in making a stand for Christ and not waffling. No, Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. And no one comes to the Father except through him. Marriage is between one man and one woman for life. And there's no other, no other forms of marriage. Uh, abortion is wrong. It is a sin. There is complete healing there's complete forgiveness if someone has committed one of these sins. Their hearts can be restored. They can be made brand new. But it's still wrong. It's still wrong. But there's complete forgiveness and healing for those who've done that. Absolutely. But it's still wrong. And we have to take a stand for biblical truth, even when it's not popular. And there's a rich compensation to us, promised in verse 5, through our, our comfort is abundant through Jesus Christ when the Holy Spirit comes to us. Verse 6, but if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. Or if we are comforted, it's for your comfort, which is effective in the patient enduring the same sufferings which we also suffer. Do you see what Paul is saying here? Paul is saying here, if I'm afflicted, it's for the gospel. If I am comforted, it's for the gospel. No matter what was thrown his way, no matter what came his way, he says, I'm going to take it and use it 
for the glory of God. I'm going to use it for the gospel. Whether I'm in suffering and whether I'm in affliction or whether I'm receiving comfort, I'm going to use it all for God's glory. How do we benefit? That's the question as I'm looking at this, verse 6. How do we benefit from seeing another believer suffer? If, if Calvin is going through a trial, if he's going through a major affliction, if he's going through a difficult, you, you produce a scenario in your brain. And if I'm looking at how am I going to benefit from seeing Calvin go through affliction? How does that benefit me? How does that benefit the believer? I want to introduce, you, introduce to you Master Sergeant Israel del Toro. On December 4th, 2005, while serving in Afghanistan, his Humvee was hit with an IED. He was engulfed in flames. He spent the next four months in a medically induced coma. He had third-degree burns on 80% of his body. Doctors gave him a 15% chance to live. He spent the next five months in rehab. Amazing story to go out there and read about. In 2010, in 2010, he became the first ever 100% disabled airman to re-enlist. Today, he is an Air Force training instructor. He lost, um, he, 80% of his body's burned. He has no fingers. He just has nubs with no fingers. But through his five years of rehabilitation, he inspired thousands and thousands of soldiers and airmen and Marines who were going through rehab because of uh, bodily injury in Iraq. He inspired thousands upon thousands upon thousands to keep on going. They looked at, at, at uh, Master Sergeant del, del Toro and said, you know what, if he can do it, I can keep on doing it. Amen. You know, even in our affliction, in his affliction, he served as an inspiration and as a witness to all the other veterans going through um, rehab to keep on going, to keep pressing, to not give up. Well, in Christianity, when we go through affliction and people see us going through that affliction, knowing the trial that we're going through, we inspire other believers to keep pressing forward, to keep moving on, and to not let affliction and suffering derail us. We, 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 we're a witness, and we can be a witness for Christ even in, our, even in our affliction and our suffering. It inspires and it encourages others to keep on going. They think, if they can do it, so can I. Amen? Amen? Amen. Verse 7. And our hope for you is firmly grounded, knowing that as you are sharers of our suffering, so also you are sharers of our comfort. You know, I, I like, Paul was telling the Corinthian church, hey, we're in this together. We're going to suffer together. We're going to be afflicted together. We're going to bring comfort to one another together. You know, we're, we're in this thing together. And it should be the same today for the body of Christ, for the body of believers. We are in this together. When one suffers, we bring comfort. When we're going through an affliction, our hope is that the body would surround that person and bless them and comfort them and strengthen them. We're, we're in this together. I can't prove this from the, I can't prove this from the Scripture but I, I like to think that in the early church that the, um, the disciples had stripe comparisons. They had, they had, they had, they had striped, stripes and affliction 
comparisons where they got together and look what I endured for Jesus. Look what I endured for Jesus. Man, I was over here and I got stoned. I was over here. I got imprisoned. I was over here and I bore stripes. I was over here and I was stoned. I was dragged out. I, I, I believe because their hope was not in this life. Their hope was in Jesus. And, the, and their focus was on taking the gospel. But I, I, I believe maybe, it doesn't say it. I understand. You know, I, I ain't gonna, I'm not going to drive my stake in the ground on this point. But I like to believe that they had comparisons. They had competitions. Who could suffer? Who could suffer? Who could endure the most stripes for Christ? Because they considered it an, an honor and a privilege to suffer for their Lord and Savior. Remember this. Our master, our king, the founder of Christianity is who? Jesus. Okay? What happened to him on Good Friday? He took a shellacking. He took a whooping. The most brutal thing that could happen to any human being happened to him. Okay? He's our leader. He went through the most affliction and the most suffering. Now, who's to say that we won't go through some form, not in that sense, not in a vicarious cross, because that was him making a way for our salvation, but we could go through affliction and we could endure suffering for the cause of Christ. Verse 8, For we do not want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength. Man, I love this. Here in verse 8, the Apostle Paul, you're seeing into his heart. You are seeing the inner dealings, the inner workings of the Apostle Paul. Only I didn't read all of it. That we were burdened excessively beyond our strength, that we despaired even to life. The dude was depressed. The afflictions in Asia, what was the afflictions in Asia? Maybe it was the rioting in Ephesus, Acts chapter 19. Possibly it was a deadly sickness. Um, it could have been his disheartening news that he received about the church at Corinth and the false teachers going in. But look what it says. It says he says at the end of verse 8, he says, We despaired even of life. What a candid, honest expression. There's no front there. He's just being real. Man, this is tough. This is hard. The Apostle Paul, when, he, when he, he pins this verse, he's like a worn-out dog, ready to be put down. He, he's depressed. If he, if he was living in 2017, they would have put him on medication. He, he was going through a difficult time. It says, he despaired even of life. Brothers and sisters, even believers struggle with depression. And that's a major epidemic we're seeing in our culture today, in our world. And it's happening even in the church. You know, we need to be mindful and keeping an eye on our brothers and sisters. Depression is a real issue. And we're not exempt. And we need to keep an eye on our family, our loved ones, people in the church, and the people we love and care about the most and keep an eye out um, for depression. He, Paul was worn out. And um, we just have to be mindful and understand that, that even as a Christian, we can go through trials, we can go through tribulation, we can go through sufferings, 
and it can, it can affect us physically, it can affect us in our heart, emotionally, in our mind, and we've got to be mindful and, 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 and shepherd the uh, church of God and shepherd people and watch out for that. You know, and if you ever get to a point where you're depressed and you need someone to talk to, um, I would hope within this body you've already got four or five people that you could call, but you can call me 24 hours a day, seven days a week, anytime, and say, hey, Pastor David, I'm wrestling with this. I'm struggling, and I need help. I need help. And we will, we, we, we will help you. We will make it a priority to come alongside you and minister God's grace and lift your spirits. If you find yourself um, being despaired even of life, it's a serious issue that we, that we need to address and, and be lifting people up. Verse 9. Indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. Verse 10, who delivers us from so great a peril of death and will deliver us. He whom we have set our hope and he will yet deliver us. Paul's life was no bed of roses. He, he endured persecution. He, he, he endured infirmities. But what kept Paul going? What kept the Apostle Paul going? The same thing that keeps you and I going. Our love for Jesus and our desire and our passion to move forward with the gospel in the world that we live in in 2017. That's what keeps us going. Be careful. You're witnessing to someone who's not a believer, who's not a Christian. Be careful before you say to them, Hey, my friend, God has a wonderful plan for your life. And if you'll just say a little prayer and ask Jesus in your heart and really, really mean it and really, really mean it, he'll come in. Be careful with that because it's not in the Bible. You know, we receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior by repentance and faith. We put our trust in him. And does he have an awesome plan for our life? Yes. It is awesome. It is amazing. It is out of this world. But in the midst of that plan for our life, even we as believers are not exempt from difficult and trying times. And we have to be careful that, that you know, you don't accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, become a Christian, and ride off into the sunset on a horse and Life is just rosy and all is well. No, actually, actually, when you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then the battle begins. Then the fight begins. Then you're in a fight because you're warring against the flesh and serving Christ in the midst of an ungodly world. So this morning, I hope you're encouraged by the Word of God. We teach chapter by chapter, verse by verse, through the good stuff, through the hard stuff, through the difficult stuff. And we need, I hope this morning that that um, understanding suffering and affliction, it, it could be physical, it could be our suffering for being a Christian. I hope that you have a good understanding so that when life throws you a curveball, you can say, you know what? I'm focused on him. I'm going to praise him in the storm. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because who is with me? You, Lord Jesus, are with me. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.
Father God, thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to serve you. Lord, help us to be mindful of the serious nature of depression and suffering and affliction. Help us to be sensitive to people around us that may go through this trial. Help us to minister God's grace to them, to minister God's love, to lift their spirits, especially as we're approaching the Christmas season. And Lord, if there's anyone here within the sound of my voice that's struggling in, in, a, in, a, in a realm of affliction or suffering or, 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 or downcast, I pray, Lord, that they would reach out and we could lift them up as we approach this amazing Christmas season. In Jesus' name I pray, Father.